This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. I started the podcast five years ago because I wanted to reach out to those of you who might already be interested in psychological and emotional issues, to those of you who may just have encountered a problem, whether it's in mental health or perhaps in your relationship and you're looking for answers, but also to a third group, to those of you who think therapy is just too weird for me or that means I can't solve my own problems. So I wanted to reach you because therapy isn't weird. It is a unique relationship. And I'd love you or your loved ones to benefit from it. So you must be curious enough to listen to self-work, and I'm glad you're here. One of the most common questions I get is, how do I open up in therapy? I just got this message from someone who was talking about this very issue because she had not really opened up about some things that she says, I've kept locked away from myself. And now those things have, quote unquote, decided to pick the lock. (laughs) That can happen and does happen. Part of you can be scared to feel something or admit something to yourself, and that part works hard to protect you from being overwhelmed, while another part of you needs and really yearns to be heard. And I've heard this a lot before, that people only talk to their therapist about what feels very safe to talk about, what they're ready to talk about, and I get it. I did the same thing. When I was in therapy, there were either things that I wasn't even aware were problematic, but there were also things that I was scared to reveal. Hopefully, the more therapy I had, the deeper down I was willing to dig, and the more vulnerability I was willing to show. But in this episode of Self Work, we're going to be focusing on small steps you can take to begin to assess the cost to you of not connecting with every part of you and how to be gentle but persuasive with that part of you that's so scared to reveal. The listener voicemail is only five seconds long, but her question is heartbreaking. I'm not sure I have answers, but I definitely wanted to extend comfort and reassurance. The sponsor for this episode of Self Work is BetterHelp, and I've heard from several of you that their therapists have been more than helpful to you, so I'm delighted they've remained one of our major sponsors. So now, let's talk about how you build safety into beginning to open up about things that, at least initially, don't feel safe at all. A quick note, this episode might be triggering for any of you who have suffered abuse or neglect, so please be careful in listening. A question I often get has to do with how to begin opening up to your therapist. An analogy that you often hear about in therapy is that the process is like unpeeling an onion, (laughs) that as you remove one layer, there's another layer underneath, or something like those babushka dolls where there's a tiny doll nestled in the center, but you have to open the dolls on the outside first. Each one has its own layer. We talked two weeks ago about the processes of suppression and repression, noting that the first is something we're aware of, it's conscious, it's something we do that becomes habitual, and in suppression, that's a way to appropriately compartmentalize an event or experience, no matter actually if it's painful or joyous, so that we can attend to whatever is happening in the present. 
But then there's repression, which is an unconscious process, meaning your mind does it automatically. It pushes it away. The memory and its accompanying emotions seep into your unconscious mind out of your conscious awareness. That process is, again, protective. There's one part of you that's shielding another part of you. Sometimes that shielding can be through helpful means like getting organized or keeping more painful emotions in the background, but sometimes that protection can be not so constructive. For example, if you use substances to detach yourself from feeling or you use any kind of self-harm to distance emotionally. Let's quickly talk about a third method of protection, and that's dissociation. Some dissociation is minor when you daydream and forget where you are, or when you go upstairs and then can't remember why you did. (laughs) But there are much more severe forms of the mind breaking off traumatic events, which leads to a disconnection from your own sense of self, even your own identity. The most dramatic and complex example of dissociation is in what's called DID, or Dissociative Identity Disorder, where the break between identities can create an unawareness or lack of consciousness that your identity has split. Let's visualize a windshield. When it's hit by something powerful enough to crack it, it splinters. It breaks into two different sections of glass, right? But they are still held together by the car frame. This is akin to dissociation. The windshield stays intact, but it's also by definition cracked. Now in DID, the two or three cracked off parts of the self may not even know that the others exist. Therapy with someone who's dissociated to this degree takes time and their ultimate trust in the therapist who acts as a mediator and guide for all the different personas they may have developed. The idea has been highly dramatized by Hollywood. And don't get me wrong, people with it only understand themselves in a very fractured way. Think about the windshield again. Each part may know that the others exist, but maybe they don't. One persona can have memories the other does not. Often, each persona has times that they feel like they disappear or they lose track of time when another persona emerges. One persona can carry a primary emotion while another struggles to understand and even feel at all that emotion. True DID is rare, however. When this kind of dissociation occurs, it's due to horrific and chronic abuse. And the mind must protect itself by splitting, by cracking. It's kind of like when you think of a weight getting heavier and heavier, and you say to a friend, hey, help me come hold this weight up. Basically, it takes two personas to hold the heaviness of the abuse. Hopefully, that very simple explanation helps you understand. I wanted to touch on DID because certainly the individuals that have suffered with it and who I have seen often face a tremendous hurdle with emotional vulnerability in therapy. Part of the work is to help each persona to become more whole, to feel more diverse feelings, to develop empathy for one another, and to trust, again, the therapist. That's huge. And so that's probably the most difficult thing in therapy to work with as a therapist. It's challenging for both the therapist as well, obviously, as the patient. But let's get back to people who are mostly struggling with the fear of not feeling safe, of losing control. Maybe you've talked in therapy about your feelings about your divorce, for example. Maybe that's why you came into therapy. But in therapy, maybe your therapist has helped you realize that you had to have control of the relationship. 
So, what's underneath that need for control? Maybe it was because a coach sexually touched you in high school, which is at the bottom of you needing to feel in control all the time. And yet, talking about that coach and that experience can seem too vulnerable. Or, as I said a few minutes ago about myself, sometimes you can have stowed it away so effectively that you don't even realize that that's the source of the problem. Of course, you can choose to not reveal you were touched, that's your right. But, if you being touched was what made that need for control in your relationship a problem, if that's the root of what's wrong, then you'll simply need that control again in your next relationship. You can try to make that need about your ex, and many do. I wouldn't have done that if they hadn't been so impulsive. But there's usually an interaction there. And if you haven't dug up the roots of what's wrong, it's just like a weed. The need for control will emerge in another relationship. So, how can you make it safer for you to tell your truth? Your truth being what you realize, maybe, that you've compartmentalized. Or... Like the listener at the very beginning of the episode, the memories themselves were unlocking themselves. They picked the lock. (laughs) So how do you stay safe when memories are returning or emerging? To explain more about that second process, those memories taking it upon themselves to unlock themselves. Maybe the age you are is causing you to remember something you didn't before consciously. Maybe you get triggered by something in the news or something that's happened to someone else. Maybe seemingly all of a sudden, a piece of a puzzle that's been in your head for years falls into place. As I've watched this process in myself and in my patients, I've come to believe that there's a part of you that is your wise mind, and it knows when you're ready for a memory or an event or an experience to emerge. Your wise mind has been part of that unlocking But it's also a good idea to seek the help of a therapist who's guided others through this territory, this unlocking. Before I go on and get to the what you can do about it part, as I always do on self-work, let's hear a wonderful offer from BetterHelp. BetterHelp has been a sponsor of self-work for at least a year or more, and I'm so glad to have them on board. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's actual professional therapy online. And as I've done much more virtual work during the pandemic, I've seen firsthand how effective and convenient virtual work is. When you contact BetterHelp, you'll get a response from a licensed therapist in as little as 48 hours, and they'll make sure you feel your therapist is a wonderful match for you. I, of course, tried this, and I was impressed with the therapist they presented to me as well as what the therapists themselves offered. And BetterHelp and I want 2022 to be your most mentally healthy year ever. So just visit betterhelp.com slash selfwork and you'll get a special offer to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash selfwork. Hope you'll give it a try, especially getting 2022 off to a great start. So here are five things that you can actually do to feel safe in therapy or perhaps feel safe with a friend. This is, again, what you can do about it. Here's the first. You do have to feel a real connection with your therapist. I've heard from many people that they stayed in therapy with someone that wasn't really helping them. 
I got an email this week from someone, for example, who'd been working with their therapist for three years and didn't feel that any of their goals had been accomplished. I've been told by others, well, she seemed to need me as much as I needed her, or is it okay that he takes phone calls during my session time? No, it is not. And therapy is not about her need at all. Trust comes from true attunement, feeling as if your therapist's attention and thoughts are with you and on you for the entire session, but in any kind of communication that the two of you may have. Now, some therapy techniques are more goal-oriented than others, but that's not really what builds trust. If you don't trust your therapist enough to reveal yourself to them, you're not feeling that attunement. And that may not be coming from you, but from your therapist. But let's say you have that kind of trust. You feel like your therapist is very attuned to you. Here are four other things to consider. You may need to start by focusing on process in the present, not content from the past. What I mean by this is to talk about talking, talk about process, something I've probably mentioned in other self-work episodes. For example, instead of blurting out what that coach did to you many years ago, you could say, I'm aware that there are things that I'm still too embarrassed to talk about, or a memory has come up for me that I don't know how to talk about it, or I'm wanting to describe things to you, but I can't even find the words. What I've noticed when people are hesitant and they seem to be almost flooded by something that they don't know how to handle, I'll watch them get kind of foggy and they're telling me, all of a sudden I feel so tired. Or maybe their heart will be racing or they'll get clammy because that content is simply too overwhelming for them. So, If you focus on process, on where you are in that very moment, that can be a great way to start. Think of it this way. Let's go back to our coach abuse example once again. You're aware that every time you drive by the gym where the abuse happened, you get sick to your stomach. Well, that fogginess, that heart racing, getting clammy, is the same thing happening to you in the session with your therapist. The part of you that wants to protect you can lead you away from that memory. So again, if you talk about how you feel in the present, it can be a great beginning. You can say things like, you know, there's something from my past that I know is important to talk about, but I get so overwhelmed even thinking about trying to talk about it. And what a good therapist will do is to say to you, then slow down. Let's slow down. Let's just talk about how it makes you feel to even think about revealing something and how can we keep you safe. They'll use grounding techniques, for example, to keep you very, very centered on what your body feels like in the room. They can help you learn a technique like tapping that would help de-stress you. You can find a safe place in your own mind, and you can fill that place with people or just things that give you comfort, that make you feel safe, where you feel wisdom and support. And if you get flooded, that's where you go. And therapy slows way down. That's attunement, and that's what's going to build trust with your therapist when they know that it's time to slow down, focus on the present, and not try to dig any deeper into the past. Here's the second thing to consider, and I've had so many patients tell me they feel this way. They'll say, I want to talk about something, but I feel incredibly disloyal to my family, or often I'll suspect they're feeling 
disloyalty. And I'll ask, you know, how do you feel about opening up about your mom or your dad or your grandparents? Do you kind of feel like you're doing something wrong? And often I'll hear back, well, my parents did the best they could do. Yeah, there were problems, but I've kept those problems a secret. And actually, I feel like I shouldn't even say anything to you about it. A reassurance I often give is this. Most families I know, including my own and the one I created (laughs) with my husband, every family does good things and then not so good things. True, there are parents and families that actually are awful. But generally, I hear the disloyalty issue come up when someone does have some gratitude toward the care they received. So you're pulled. You don't know quite which way to go. Now, of course, when the child has been told directly or indirectly, we don't let anyone know what goes on in this family, such as in alcohol addiction. You've been told or simply understand that it's your job to keep the secret, and maybe you've even been rewarded in some way for acting as if nothing was wrong. So it's hard to challenge those beliefs. So again, in a family where a lot of it was really good enough, but a lot of it was not, you may feel disloyal. In a family that was extremely abusive or neglectful, and it was your job to keep the secret, you may feel like you're doing something wrong by finally talking about it. And it's hard to challenge those beliefs. In fact, I left the therapy room one time. I just walked out when my therapist, who was gently trying to challenge my beliefs about my family, said something I didn't like. I literally got up and left. I was so mad. But then hours later, I realized she was right. And I wasn't being disloyal to speak my perspective and my experience. You have to give yourself permission, knowing you probably won't get it from them. You might even discover your own anger or hurt at feeling forced to keep such a secret. And maybe you'll be able to see what caused your parents or your family to act the way they did, and you can more slowly develop compassion for them. But none of that will happen if you don't work through your own sense of disloyalty or doing something wrong. Here's another. You've got to know that you're in control of how fast you go. I always try to give my clients permission to not answer a question I might ask simply by telling me I can't go there. Or I might say, you look uncomfortable even getting close to talking about this. Does this feel safe to you? But you're in control of how fast you go, not the therapist. What feels safe to you is what's important. This, again, is part of the attunement that you need from a therapist. But it's also important for you to know how close to the fire you feel safe to get. Or when it's time to take a break, let things calm down. I've had a lot of clients say to me, you know, we've covered so much in the last few weeks. I'd like to come back in a bit, but I need to let this sit for a while. That's fine by me, as long as we don't leave the client in an overly emotional state where they're still getting triggered and need support. But we can stop the unpeeling of the onion at any time it feels unsafe to the client. The last one is very pragmatic. If you have distinct problems even identifying your emotions, ask your therapist, or you can get this for yourself, to get a list of emotions, literally names of emotions, off the Internet. And then you and your therapist can start with the easy ones or the simpler ones. Let's say sad. Then you'll go back in your memory and think of a time when you were sad. You sort of stay still in that and let yourself go back to how that child felt and feel that child's sadness. That may take a couple of sessions or more. 
And you may not cry or anything. You're just trying to connect with how that child felt. Then you can pick a more complex emotion. Let's say disappointment. Again, try to go back in your mind's eye to a time when you felt disappointed. How did you handle it? What did that feel like? Where did you feel it in your body? And then you might pick a more difficult or more complex emotion like inconsolable or despair. You can move slowly and let your therapist hold an emotional space for you so you can risk truly feeling. It's one of the wonderful things that I'm so honored to be for people sometimes is when I know I'm holding that space for them to feel and connect with an emotion that perhaps they've never risked before. So I hope those ideas help you think and feel that you can begin opening up in therapy. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Let's hear from this listener. How can I find beauty in myself, even though everyone tells me I'm ugly? I don't know about you, but this very brief voicemail was so sad. How do I feel my beauty when everyone around me tells me I'm ugly? I have no idea whether she means this literally or figuratively. Either would be terrible. I don't know how old she is, how much control she has of who she's around, when she's around them, or who she could reach out to that could be helpful. Maybe a mentor of some kind, a teacher a friend. But her message made me think of the years I spent volunteering at the Battered Women's Shelter in Dallas. In fact, it was that very volunteer work that led me into psychology and to be a therapist. Because I'd hear the same kind of despair and loneliness in those women's voices when they first arrived. Of course, many had children there with them. Angry husbands would be calling the shelter number, demanding to know where that bitch of a wife was, and threatening to come look for her. That never happened when I was working there, but I imagine it could. Gradually, as the women were counseled and created a tiny shred of belief that other people saw them differently, they could see and talk to other women there who they respected, but were in very similar circumstances. Their belief in themselves slowly grew. They may have been told they were ugly or incompetent or stupid or wrong, but they can see their own beauty. They can see their own competence. They can see where they might have been right. Now, maybe they decided to go back, maybe not, but you could see some light come back in their eyes as both the staff and other victims there supported and affirmed them for who they were. I don't know if that light remained in their eyes, but at least they could feel it for a bit. There are many adults and children who are constantly belittled and criticized. What we can all do about that is respond to give others affirmation. We may not know who needs it. You can offer other people support. You can be kind. You can look for people young and old, no matter what gender identity or sexual orientation, no matter what religion, no matter what race or culture. You can look for those people whose light has gone out of their eyes. Even if they're not complaining, even if they don't state as honestly as this young girl does, I get told I'm ugly, so how can I believe in myself? You can still respond. You can pass out kindness. You can pass out compassion and support. Maybe their family looks good and decent, and maybe they are good and decent, but maybe they're not. So look for what's underneath. I could say to this girl or woman, you need to get away from whomever is telling you that, but that's not always in someone's control. But what you can do, if that same young girl might be standing by you in the grocery store, you can affirm them. 
You can smile when you see them. You can seem to want to get to know them, and they can tuck that away. That person looked at me and seemed to like me. Maybe just maybe they'll realize it's not me who's ugly. It's them. We can only hope, and you can make sure that you're looking. Thank you all for being here today at Self Work. It means more to me than you possibly could know. The podcast is really growing by leaps and bounds, and that, I imagine, is all about you. You're sharing with your friends, you're telling people about Self Work, and I couldn't be more grateful. You can reach me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Please use the Speak Pipe feature. You can find it on my website, or you can find it here in the show notes. And leave me a message in your own voice so I can answer your question here on Self-Work. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work, and I'd love to have you as a member. My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, you can find anywhere, and its message is very similar to what we were talking about today. You don't have to stay in control, so rigidly in control, because basically you need to talk about that part of you that has pain, that is despairing and lonely. Because if you don't feel it, you'll live it. Thank you again for being here. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.